Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of our awesome LA Times colleagues, and today we welcome Daniel Hernandez. Daniel's writing is always surprising and lively, whether he's writing about lowriders or music or even food. It's always the epitome of desmadre, a jolly good time. So Daniel talking to Machete himself, Danny Trejo, well, that's puro desmadre, pure desmadre. Enjoy. I'm Daniel Hernandez. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is July 9th, 2021. I've spent the past few months reporting about Latino representation, or rather lack of, in Hollywood for the LA Times. Along the way, the book's editor at the paper, Boris Katka, asked me, as he occasionally does, if I wanted to take a look at a new book by an actor. Turns out it's by one of the most fascinating and honestly badass figures in Hollywood today, Danny Trejo. What I had was this look of a criminal. I had the look of a bad guy, you know, and I've had guys that play bad guys tell me, wow, you really look like a bad guy. (laughs) We spoke over Zoom. Trejo wore a cap and tee, and at 77, he is one of the most beloved genre actors around. Even over the pandemic distance, Trejo's fierceness on screen as the perpetual prisoner or inmate is evident in conversation. He spoke with emotion and sometimes snorted or rubbed his face with both hands. It was as if he was bracing himself against the pain of experience in the state penitentiary system that took up half his life. I was doing a film with Mickey Rourke and we were doing it in New Mexico. And I, I played this insane killer. And, uh, and it was strange and, and the director would say, okay, let's do that, we do it. And he said, Danny, how do you do it? It's like you go to this maniac and then all of a sudden I watch you and you go, when I say cut, you immediately go over and play with your kids. And he says, you know, most actors, they get into that zone and they they want to stay there. When I'm playing that insane, crazy person, it's like, I've been there. I've seen that. I've lived that, you know, I don't, I don't want to be there. There's times that I've been acting and then I stop and I go and I throw up because that place that you can go to is is very, very real. It's like I love working with like all the wannabe tough guys and going to be killers in Hollywood because you look at them and you know as tough as you are, you would be paying protection to some little five foot six Mexican. (laughs) That's how tall Danny Trejo really is, by the way. But it's his face that captures people's attention. It's famously mangled by the years he spent in prison, offering an ideal expressive palette for the actor he became. He can convey rage and humor like few other villains on screen. Some of these stories have been told, and many have informed his wildly prolific work. And the most important are collected in his new memoir, Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. He co-authored it with his longtime friend and fellow actor, Donald Logue. You know, if there was a group of us standing on a corner when I was young, the cops would pull up and go, hey, you, come here. And always, you know, just, I just had the 
face or the the body that stuck out. But as far as Hollywood, I don't think I've ever been discriminated against. You know, I work all the time and I was a inmate number one bad guy. And I didn't know that I was being stereotyped. I just knew I was working. In fact, a young lady, probably fresh out of interview school, you know, she asked me, uh, Danny, don't you think you're being uh, uh, typecast? And I didn't know what that was. I said, about what? What do you mean? She said, well, you're always playing the mean Chicano dude with tattoos. And I thought about it. I, said, I am the mean Chicano dude with tattoos. Trejo got his break in the business after visiting a film shoot in 1985. He was there to help someone on set who was battling through addiction recovery. Then his career took off, at first quietly, with a string of tiny roles as prisoner, inmate, or tough inmate one. But by 1995, Trejo shared a riveting death scene with Robert De Niro in Michael Mann's movie, Heat one of my all-time favorites, and one of many displaying Trejo's skill at portraying someone on the brink of death. He says even De Niro was the impressed. Century, the best death of the century. So funny. When I was doing that, to get a compliment from Robert De Niro, and he helped me up off the ground. <laughs> There's a lot of talk in the Hollywood community about the constant use of the gangster, the cholo, kind of barrio stories. But at the same time, some actors will say, well, that's giving us work and we're training in our craft and we're reflecting the streets. Where do you lie on that argument? And how do you view some of these films, you know, that you were on early in your career in today's mindset? I will tell you something. As long as the bad guy dies or goes to prison, I don't care. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll, <laughs> I won't do a, a movie where the bad guy lives. And I got 96 deaths now, I think. And I'm, I'm, I got the record for deaths in film, you know. <laughs> Just means that I work a lot. For me, it's like, you know, like, yeah, let's tell those stories. Yeah, let's, but let's get them right. You know, let's get them right. It's like, you know, why, why do you, why are, why are uh, prisons full of African-American and Mexicans? Because... You know, jobs aren't available. There's a lot of things going on that are putting us in prison. Right now, I honestly believe that probably 15% of the people that are in prison belong in prison. You know what I mean? We could do other things with with the, with the, the other... 15%, you said? Percentage. 15, yeah. so you think 85% of people in prison don't don't need to be there? Yeah. I honestly believe that we could do something else. Nonviolent drug addicts do not belong in prison. Most of the dealers they got in prison were dealing to support their habits. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, I got a, I got a quarter. I'm going to cut it up and I'm going to sell this. I'm going to use this. You know, it's not, you know, it's like, you know, I, I know some of the big dealers that were in prison. You know what I mean? Well, why do you think people still want to see these kinds of films and love um, you know, even American Me is, you know, people watch, still watch it. People watch Blood and Blood Out, um, all the movies yeah. that you're in. What's yeah. the draw there? People want to identify with violence, first of all. Secondly, they want to see heroic characters. And like I said, as long as the bad guy loses, I'll do it. In 1995, legendary filmmaker Robert Rodriguez gave Trejo a signature role in Desperado. 
he played a Colombian assassin contracted to kill Antonio Banderas' character. And in 2001, Rodriguez specifically created for Trejo the role of Machete in Spy Kids, a role that eventually became a franchise on its own. That established perhaps the only character in film history to straddle the genres of children's adventure and grindhouse horror. Trejo's role as Machete is iconic, but his tough guy movie roles seem to be just a fraction of an actual life filled with drugs, gangs, and terror. Stay with us for more. Trejo grew up in the barrio culture of the San Fernando Valley in the 1950s and 1960s. From an early age, he understood the true distance between the glitter of nearby Hollywood and his world of drug dealing and bare knuckle violence. Grabbing you by the throat and threatening, threatening to break every bone in your body was abuse. I thought, I didn't know giving you marijuana when you were eight was, I thought it was <laughs> sharing. <laughs> it's stuff like this, Trejo writes, that eventually got him hauled into a police station for the first time at the age of 10. From that point on, he spent years engaging in criminal mayhem in the San Fernando Valley and up and down the state, cycling through juvenile and state prisons and never expecting to come out alive. But over the course of Trejo's life, his experience with criminality would collide with Hollywood. One crystallizing episode came when Trejo was weighing offers to appear in two films in the early 1990s. One was American Me, to be directed by Edward James Olmos. The other was Blood In, Blood Out by Taylor Hackford. Both sought to tell the story of the founding of the Mexican Mafia. Trejo, with his chest of tattoos and years of time served, would have been a great fit in either film. There was a problem though. The Mexican Mafia, or Eme, is highly secretive and notorious for its ruthless executions. Word was already getting around the penitentiary system that the American Me script took some offensive narrative liberties related to prison rape and to the MS fraternal codes and order that were upsetting real-world gang leaders. The proposed film would also explicitly use the term Eme, which is another big no-no. You know, Edward James is a great actor. He's an unbelievable actor. But you gotta... When we walked into, into uh, Jerry's Deli in Encino, okay, he walks in wearing a county jail shirt Button to the top here and open and and you looking like you know like an East LA cholo and so I'm trying to figure out now is he doing this to be my friend or I, I didn't I didn't understand that kind of getting into character. The first question we asked was, "Hey, did you get permission from Joe to do this?" Joe Morgan was the leader of the Mexican Mafia and uh, the Mexican Mafia was was not like the John Gotti who wanted to be in the papers, okay? Just before a second meeting with Olmos, Trejo got a message. 
Joe Morgan, the guy Trejo warned about, wanted to talk to him. The infamous Joe, quote unquote, Pegleg Morgan, incarcerated at the time at county jail, was then the living Don of the M.A. According to Trejo, Joe Morgan doesn't call people unless he's saying you're dead. Trejo took the call on the home phone of his friend Eddie Bunker, an old industry insider who he had met in prison. Joe Morgan got right down to business. I'll never forget. Eddie handed me the phone. Hey, Joe, what's up? And he goes, Danny, you know what, man? This is serious, Holmes. He said, I understand you're up for that movie, uh, American Me. And I go, yeah, I'm up for both of them. I'm up for, I'm up for Blood In, Blood Out, too. He says, which one are you going to do, Dan? And I says, you know, I'm going to do Blood In, Blood Out. I'll never forget. Joe Morgan said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the cute one. This movie about about Mexican killers in San Quentin, that's the cute one. So we talked and he said, he even told me, Danny, you know, you could do the the other one. You could do American Me if you wanted. Nothing would happen, but yeah. And I said, yeah, no, I wouldn't disrespect. I wouldn't disrespect the people that I know. Almost did not respond to a request for comment about the passage in the book or about Trejo's statements for this story. In the book, Trejo emphasizes, again, his admiration for Olmos and his advocacy for Latinos and people of color in Hollywood. Olmos made American Me as a morality play to warn youth about the dangers of prison life. Yet the story's ripple effects in the real world were unmistakable. Two consultants who worked on the film were killed, including a beloved gang intervention worker named Ana Lizarraga. I think four people got killed out here directly because of that movie, and about eight or nine got killed in prison directly behind that movie. We'll have more after this break. Trejo took a smallish role in Blood In, Blood Out, an experience that allowed him to return to San Quentin for the first time since he was an inmate there, this time as an actor. During filming, he was able to roam almost freely inside a facility that for him was the site of so many horrors. Early passages in the book describe mortal dangers lurking around every corner at San Quentin. And in a state of full circle, he even got to shoot a few scenes inside C-550, his actual former cell in the prison's South Block. I consider my life a complete gift from God. You gotta remember, 1968, I made a deal. I said, you know what, if you let me die with dignity, I'll say your name every day and I'll do whatever I can for my fellow inmate. And I said inmate because I never thought I was getting out of jail. A year later, he left prison for good. And despite many bumps along the road, Trejo transformed into a dedicated recovery counselor and sponsor. Recovery ultimately is the driving force of the memoir. Trejo has more than 400 credits to his name now, a remarkable achievement for someone who could hardly have imagined a film career as he prayed at Soledad Prison in 1968. 
Today, he recognizes how far Hollywood has to go to expand opportunities and roles beyond tough prisoner number one. On the topic of Latino representation, the subject of a recent series of stories in The Times, Trejo says he welcomes the growing advocacy. But what's needed to move the needle, he argued, is more direct investment from high-powered producers of Latin American descent specifically. Everybody, you know, we were, were, were not represented, were not represented, were not represented. You know, I have to say, the reason we're not represented is that people on top, not Caucasian, I'm talking about Latin American people, do not want to produce film. But your point about the, the, the representation is the issue that we just don't have enough Latino financiers of films, producers, is what you're saying. Exactly. You know, and it's like, stop crying, start putting up some money. It may sound like tough love, but after reading the book and talking to the man, you come away with the sense that Trejo's indomitable hardness serves a kinder philosophy. Everything good that has happened to me has happened as a direct result of helping someone else. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Coming up next week, the continued devolution of Nicaragua President Daniel Ortega. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our editor is Shawnee Hilton. Our intern is Ashley Brown. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Hector Becerra, Shelby Grad, and Boris Kachka. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back Monday with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.